Welcome to the Transit Lounge. I'm your host, Chandra. As a recovering workaholic, I want to explore how you can do more of what you love without burning out. I'm on a mission to promote true well-being, the contented state of being happy, healthy, and prosperous. Through interviews with savvy entrepreneurs, authors, and industry experts, we'll share insights, inspiration, and practical tips on how you can be CEO you in the business of your life. Let's go. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Transit Lounge podcast. My name is Chandra, I'm your host, and I'm excited to get into today's episode because we have another of our interview episodes as part of the series that I started this year to interview 40 women who had made significant career change after the age of 40. And uh, today we are going to be speaking with the lovely Fiona Archul. Hello, Fiona. How are you? I'm great. Thanks, Sandra. How are you? I'm super well. Whereabouts are you today? Brisbane. I'm working from home today in Brisbane, sunny Bris Vegas. Delightful Bris Vegas. Awesome. So Fiona, thank you so much for agreeing to be a guest on this podcast series. The intention with this series was really to provide lots and lots of different stories of women who had, for various reasons, decided to make quite a big change professionally after the age of 40 to give lots of examples of the reasons why people do it, how they do it, and even the different types of businesses that people can go into. And so I'm really excited to to talk with you because we haven't met, I only know a little bit about you, and I'm excited about getting into your journey and what you've experienced so far in your transition. To kick us off, could you just sort of set up for us a bit of the the story arc of what is it that you used to do for work or professionally and what is it that you're moving to or doing now? Yeah, sure. Thanks for asking. So I've been in business for um, roughly 17 years and I've worked with my husband most of that time in fashion. So we started as retailers specialising in um, high-end shirting. And we moved away from that and into corporate uniforms about six years ago. So um, that's been sort of my life for 17 years. Prior to that, I was in marketing, um, marketing master's degree and then working for a few corporates. So my role has been ever changing from working in stores to fashion designing, um, buying to selling and now into more of a corporate space. So, you know, working out those systems that are required and the different service that we need to provide for B2B. So that's sort of my, my, my history. And uh, late last year, I decided to transition into a new business uh, more aligned with my sole passion, which is food and um, more specifically plant-based lifestyle. So I have um, been exploring how that looks and starting with sort of just transitioning one day by doing some cooking classes with some locals Mm -hmm. and slowly moving into what now is really three days a week in Wholesome Bellies and only two in uh, the Uniform Edit, which is our previous business. And it's happened um, quite quickly because to think that I sort of did my first class, I think it was January this year. I did a couple of classes and then COVID hit, so that kind of mm-hmm. shut me down for a while. But during yeah. that downturn, I guess it gave me some time to really think about what I'd enjoyed in those couple of months and how I saw this playing out. And I don't know what happened. I just decided to create a series of classes and yeah. just scheduled them in as soon as the, the lockdowns were over. And I've been doing three to four classes a month, and it's been 
pretty incredible, to be honest. So good, Fiona. (laughs) So good. And look, you know, as you've mentioned, there's a few uh, COVID curveballs that came everyone's way this this year. And I love the fact that you said that you use that time to really reconnect with the passion and maybe the vision of, of what you wanted to create. So I am yeah. excited about finding out more about the the story and the transition. You, mm. you've, you've had, I think you said 17 years experience in fashion in, in various kind of um, guises and roles. And yep. so developed, you were saying, you know, marketing experience as well as buying and selling and all of that retail experience, which I'm sure you draw on now in the business in different ways. But I'm curious about was there something in particular that was a, a catalyst for you late last year in considering and making the decision that you wanted to go down this path of exploring food and the plant-based living? Was there something that was a trigger or had it, was it something that had just been brewing for a, a certain amount of time and you just decided now's the time? <laughs> I think it's a combination of both. So it's definitely been brewing and it's funny, you have to thank Facebook memories sometimes because things pop up (laughs) and you're like, oh my God, I did that six years ago. So I've had a lot of that popping up lately and Mm -hmm. it's all me sharing recipes and food from six or seven years ago. And I, I did have an attempt of two food blogs six or seven years ago and I just wasn't able to... I think give them the time they deserved and they, mm-hmm. they kind of fell to the wayside. So it's always been bubbling inside of me. But to be honest, I think I was just scared. I was scared to leave what I knew, which was comfortable. I was scared to leave a business that I'd always, um, I guess, run with my partner, my husband, mm-hmm. my best friend. And there's a comfort there, I guess, that yeah. we show up to work together. If there's a problem, it's ours together um, if we're building or changing our strategy, it's it's always been together. So mm. it was quite hard for me to jump into something that was just me. I mean, he's supportive, but he's got no idea about cooking and the strategies involved in, in recipe creating and the kind of, I guess, where I want to go with what I'm doing. Um, and I think it was just, it's really been a personal journey. I've had to do a lot of self-work in the last two years I've done a lot of breath work I've done some water fasts some pretty extreme things to actually tap into what is it that was holding me back is it that I didn't really want to do it or is it that I was just too scared and what I did learn is that I was just scared like I was just it was just it was a dream but it was just easier to stay where I was yeah Yeah. oh Fiona you've just dropped some awesome little truth (laughs) bombs straight out of the gate I love it yeah uh, and I actually, I know this is going to probably be a little tangent, but I feel like I am compelled to ask this question because I've had a few different people in various aspects of my fringe life. Uh, and by that, I mean, I guess in social media s- circles. So I sort of know of them, but not that well, where water fasts keep coming up. And so I'm curious for you, without us going too far down the rabbit hole, yeah, what is a water fast and why do people do it? Okay, well, um, I like to do extreme things to challenge myself. So I've done juice fast before, but an opportunity came up to enter a competition with a guy called Tyler Tolman, who's based in Bali. I I know of his name keeps coming up as well. (laughs) I thought I was doing a juice fast, but when I got, I actually won the comp. So that was, I think, a sign. And when I arrived, there was um, an option to do a water fast. And I thought, you know what? I'm here. I'm away from everything. I've done a juice fast. let's just go for it. Let's do a water fast. So seven days, 
um, only water. There was prep work involved leading up to it so that there weren't massive withdrawals. Mm. Um, so it's pretty much seven days, only water. Um, that, that's it, only water. Um, we were in a, a conference-type situation for the seven days, so we were in learning all day, so learning about health and wellness. So we were kept fairly busy. Yeah. But as part of that, we did some deep breath work as well. So I think people water fast for a number of reasons. Um, one is to cure some sort of chronic illness, and I have an autoimmune condition that I'm pretty keen, or I was keen to get on top of. Mm -hmm. So I thought that would be a good bonus. Um, I think it's also a really good challenge of the mind because when we remove everything that's comfortable so for me it's coffee chocolate and food yeah. um then emotionally there's nothing really to hold on to so when you remove those comforts i guess what happens is you get stripped bare and you're forced to well i was forced to kind of have emotions come up but not able to suppress them through my usual afternoon coffee or my chocolates yeah uh -huh. okay um so i guess that's i didn't know that was what happened but as we got through the process, it makes sense. You know, when we're feeling sad or frustrated or scared, the first thing we do is reach for something that's comfortable, either a, for some it's a cigarette, for others it's a glass of wine um, or a chat with a friend. But there we weren't able to do that. So I just sat with lots of feelings about stuff. Yeah, wow. <laughs> um, and what kept coming up to me was um, I'm not living my purpose. I love mm -hmm. my work. I love my husband. I love our business. But, but there's more. There's more. Yeah. And I love food. What can I do with food? And it was just constant for the whole week. And I came home and I was I just wasn't able to let that go. It just stayed there. Yeah. Well, I love the fact that the tangent actually looped us straight back to, you know, that insight that you had around that what was holding you back was fear. And I think that's a really common one. And one also that I think is worth worth calling out because I remember years and years ago when I did my very first coach training, one of my trainers and mentors at that time, Joe, was talking about how he held himself back in his business for a long time because he'd created this belief that he had had too good of a life Mm -hmm. to be successful uh, in coaching and in his own business because all the stories that he had, had seen and heard were for, from people who'd had uh, enormous tragedy in their life or had been yeah, wow. living out of the back of a car or on the streets and they you know, picked themselves up from that and created this amazing business. And he told himself that because he had had a really happy childhood, a safe upbringing that he was not going to be able to reach the sort of, the sort of heights that he imagined that he could. And I thought that was yeah, so interesting. Wow. Then he, re when he realised that was something holding him back, he was able to reframe that into it takes more courage to leave a place of comfort to risk it all than it does to be on the street and going, I'm either going to die or I need to do something different. And it's oh, so interesting that the impact so when you made that change. Yeah, that's I, I wholeheartedly resonate with that. That's I think a big was a big part for me too. Really quite a privileged situation. I didn't need to go and earn money. I didn't need to start a new business. Yeah, it's it, it, and it's all it's that whole sort of self-doubt. Who am I to think that I can have more and that I should do more? Why aren't I just happy with what I've got kind yes, of thing? So totally, that totally. self-sabotage thing does come up, but mm -hmm. I don't think we always hear it like that, unfortunately, unless we can kind of find some stillness and dig a bit deeper to yes. figure it out. Yeah. And that's why I think 
you know, they say that starting your own business, especially a solo business, is like one of the most intense personal development programs you'll ever do because it does yeah, bring true. up all of that stuff of the stories that you've been running with since you're a kid and your beliefs about yourself and what you're capable of and what you're not and what's okay to have and what's greedy what's too much. like it is it's it's um so true. such a uh, you know an amazing but also confronting um, process yeah. I think and again yeah. that's another reason why I really wanted to do this interview series is because I think people can be in a situation where they think, oh, it's too late now. I'm in my 40s or my 50s or whatever age they're at. It's too late. I feel like I'm just starting. <laughs> I agree. I agree. So I'm, I, you know, yeah. sharing these stories and sharing the reality of kind of the good, the bad and the ugly that, yeah. you know, not trying to pretend that it's all easy street, yeah. but also um, highlighting there are some amazing benefits to it and it's not all the, you know, laptop, laptop lifestyle that, you know, you sometimes see in yeah. your Facebook ads but it can be amazing. And so it's not all gloom and doom, but, you know, not to be um, rose-coloured glasses. Somewhere in between is, is the truth, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah. So good on you for going past that fear and finding whatever courage you needed to uh, make this change. I'm curious about because you'd been in business with your, your husband, your partner, for so long, how did the conversation go with him when you started broaching the idea? Oh, that's <laughs> that's funny. You know, I think I was scared to tell him. Yes. I, there's a, you know, now that I think back, I think just my ego was so big and I thought that the business couldn't survive without me. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and yep. I think there's a part of me that didn't didn't want it to be so easy for him to say, yeah, go, great, go find find your dreams because that kind of would made me feel like, well, then I wasn't really needed there. And mm-hmm. what was I doing there all those years? So again, more more self-doubt and fear. But I remember we went out for dinner. We had a date night and I looked at him and I said, babe, I really, I really want to talk to you. And he had this really serious look on his face. Like I was going to, I don't know, tell him we were having another child or something like that. <laughs> anyway, I just oh. spoke to him and he went, oh yeah, well, I know that. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? And he's like, well, that's really obvious. And I'm like, oh, okay. And he's like, well, then just do it. And I'm like, oh, what do you mean? And he goes, well, just do it. And I'm like, but how, what? Like, it was just so easy to him. And I'm like, but what, how? And he's like, well, just just get started. And I was like, but I need a plan and I need goals and I need financials. And he just said, babe, just do what you love. And I was like, okay. Um, so I kind of walked away from that with his blessing, I guess, but yeah. he didn't give me any guidance. He didn't give me any tips or ideas or <laughs> He like said, nothing. go for it, best of luck with that. <laughs> yeah, and I was a bit I was a bit annoyed to be honest. And nothing really happened for another month. And then we had another chat and he's like, Well what do you want from me? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> so I think, yeah, I kind of wanted him to jump on board and do it with me. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, because the business that we had started that's been going now for 17 years it was never my idea it was his idea we were newlyweds he always wanted to be in business I was I thought I was pretty happy doing what I was doing and when it came to starting the business it was never the intention that I would go into it but I hated my job at the time and he was thriving in his role and growing so it made sense for me to jump ship so I guess I've always been in a business that wasn't my idea wasn't my passion and Mm -hmm. I've been kind of riding his wave and it it was hard for me to share his my idea with him, but um, him just kind of 
the hands distance, just kind of like, great, go for it. And I was like, aren't you coming with me? (laughs) And it's like, no, this is your thing. So that that's kind of how it went. And it did take me some time after that to just sit in that and go, okay, I'm doing this on my own, you know, yeah. how do I do that? What do I, what do I do? Like, I've never done it on my own ever. Like we have always had him there by my side. So quite scary. Yeah. And especially I think because you've had that experience of you went into an established business and you went into it with him that sometimes the the thought of, of starting on your own from scratch can be really overwhelming of even knowing, well, what is the first thing that I need to do and, and how do I do this right? And so for yeah. you, that's obviously one of the challenges was actually getting to the stage of realising he's not coming with me. No, if I want to go this way, that. I'm going to need to do it myself. That's one challenge that obviously you, you kind of push through. What have been any of the other challenges that you think you've faced in creating this this whole new business from your passion from your your love but actually turning it into a business yeah I mean the second challenge was trying to try well working out how to actually leave what I was doing I was going to the office every day um so pretty much full time and Mm. I was busy five days so um I wasn't quite sure what to let go of first Mm. and how to do that and there's a part of me that um I guess didn't want to let go of that control so I had to really get into that mindset of letting go. Um, so I started by uh, scheduling the classes and I just started by taking one day off a week. Mm-hmm. So I just said, I'm going to move out of the business one day and I'm just going to work from home and start building the content for my classes. Yep. And I scheduled my classes on Sunday. So I was working six days for a period of time, having Saturdays off, cooking class Sunday, and then dividing my work week, four days at the uniform edit and one day from home cooking. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I didn't actually delegate any work. I think I just worked smarter on those days. I yeah. looked at sort of my workload and how much time I spent chatting and I guess doing things unnecessarily mm-hmm. um, and realised that I didn't need to be there five days a week. Yeah. Um, so that's sort of how it started early in the year. Then COVID hit. Hello, and, COVID. Uh, hello. Thanks, COVID. Um, and I realised that I didn't actually need to work as much as I was working. Like. Mm-hmm. It just dawned on me that I was doing a lot of things for the sake of doing them. Yeah. And we were forced to do a lot of things differently. We all worked from home during that period. We all communicated differently. We had less meetings. My husband traveled, like just didn't travel anymore. And we just gained time. Like yeah. it was crazy. And now that we've gone back into our new normal, um, we've all at, in the office really maintained the same kind of flow. We're just working from home more because we like it. Yeah. We're not traveling, we're having less meetings. And I found that by doing that, I actually managed just to find more time. I didn't necessarily have to delegate as much as I thought I would, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and then I just gave little bits to the, to the staff. I just gave someone, you know, a, an extra job here, an extra job there, and I just slowly loaded them a little bit more and their capacity improved as well it was just yeah it just kind of happened slowly and quite organically um to a point now where I really only need to be in there two days a week and I tell you what when I'm there I'm just super efficient like I just get in there I get it done and then I'm it's there's just less fluffing about yeah and it's so interesting and, and you've touched on some great points there again around how much we can pad out our time because we're 
indoctrinated a little bit of going okay well I'm it's a work day so I'm getting into the into the office or I'm starting work at this time and I have to work until that time and there are things to be done but often there is there's a lot of fluff time in between some of which is beneficial in terms of connection and relationship yeah but absolutely it's not until something else that's more pressing comes along that you can suddenly switch into a different gear of decision making about what actually really needs to be done and how long it should take and I think it's one of the things that as human beings I I can't remember where I heard this but years ago uh, someone was talking about how human beings will never give up their reason for existence and that often attaches to our job and our work life and we like to feel important we like to feel that what we're doing is significant and so we want to be seen as busy and so we just keep doing stuff to try and meet that need oh so true yeah that 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 was me in so many ways and I felt that I had to do that even as in my own business as the boss I felt like I had to be there so the girls at work knew that I was working hard and I got to saw that stuff and I was like what am I doing like yeah and then I realized that my team had the capacity to to be more and do more and grow and they're thriving as a result because I'm giving them work that they weren't doing that's higher level and I think that's really working for them as well. Totally. And again, that's one of the things that, that when you're leading a team and being um, a bit caught in that ego of, oh, I'm the first one in, I'm the last one out. Uh-huh thinking I'm, I'm you know, setting a good example, you're actually often not because you're holding on to tasks that actually are development opportunities for the team that will help yeah. them feel more engaged. So there's, there's a lot of benefit to this. The other part yeah. of that kind of human nature thing is that humans will do what they do because they've got nothing better to do. Oh, and I remember when I first heard that, I was like, holy shit. When I catch myself doing something, I, I use it and I say, do I really have nothing better to do than this? Yeah. And it's that uh, it's very confronting, but from a self-leadership perspective, it's really powerful because mm. it forces you to think, okay, either I'm unclear on my priorities and that's why I'm doing this lower value task or I'm afraid of doing the thing or I'm unsure of how to do that thing, so I'm just going to do something that's a bit more familiar. And so it's so important to start noticing your patterns and to see the more you can tap into something you're genuinely passionate about that you can see that's going to be a benefit to you, that there is like this different gear that kicks in of efficiency and energy because it's like, well, I've got to, I've got to plan out these classes and get them done, so I just have to find the time and voila, there's suddenly time. Yeah, uh, it's true, very true. Yeah. I think too the guilt the guilt stuff kicks in sometimes too, you know, if you, you know, possibly in the past I might have been able to work four days a week and have the day off, but I think that guilt kicks in, like yep. who am I to take a, a luxury day off? Yes. Um, so you just fill your days. But With stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Just no more. No more. Don't do that anymore. Yeah, just don't do that. Excellent. Don't. That's a good tip. Excellent. Good tip. The other thing that I really love about what you did is that you got started. Or one of the things that you did to get started was by booking in classes to say, I'm actually going to run a class on this date, on this Sunday, in however many weeks, because that is going to put a rocket up you to go. Well, if I'm running that class next Sunday there's all these tasks that have to be done before then and there's nothing that will get you moving more than having a solid deadline so I love the fact that you kind of leverage that as a way of just getting started yeah that did help 
Yeah. So then how about how about promoting those classes in the early days? Yeah. How did you approach that? Were you a um, marketing whiz and so it was pretty easy well, peasy or what did you no, do? No, no, it wasn't easy because, um, oh, you know, marketing's changed so much yeah. and I, my, as a startup, there's not, I don't have a big, I mean, I don't have a budget. So, yeah. um, you know, as with most small businesses, we start by relying on our networks and our friends. Yeah. So I started there by just putting that out to um, my business community, my other women I have in, in business, friends of friends, and yeah. I sort of built the first couple of classes that way with yeah. a smaller intake. I mean, my first class was three people and I thought I did a terrible job. <laughs> but I'm sure you didn't. More, so <laughs> I just... I just didn't know how to run them, I guess. I'm used to being in the kitchen on my own, but it's very mm-hmm. different when you are teaching. Yeah. Um, so I sort of exhausted those avenues that probably lasted three classes and then I thought, oh, gosh, I've run out of friends. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I turned to uh, social media advertising and it's so targeted that I was able to, you know, pick the suburbs so there were people close to me. I was able to pick the profile, the age group, and I realised that, what I attract to my classes are people just like me. So it's yeah. women, um, they're my age, so I'm 45 this year. So they're kind of between 40 and 60. Um, they're mainly plant-based. Some of them are, are not plant-based but wanting to do more plant-based. So I was able to just pick and choose those demographics and every Facebook ad, um, maybe $80 tops, and I sold out a class Fantastic. Every single time. And that's still the way I do it now. Yeah. And I love the fact too that your business model, and this is actually something I'm going to be exploring more next year, is around different business models. But for you, because you have a face-to-face business model, you're able to be super targeted in who your audience are because there's no point, even if I love you, I'm in Sydney there's no point you trying to convince oh, me to come to one of your classes. Absolute waste. Yeah, and so you're uh, a, a very defined uh, gene pool, if you like, of who you're trying to reach. Some people see that as a disadvantage and others see it as a great advantage. And I love the fact that your niche is so clear that you're able to then leverage that in your marketing messaging to really to reach the right kind of people to put your message in front of them. And I think that's a great takeout. In fact, I just had a conversation before uh, we started this interview with someone who's getting back into business after a few years uh, away. And one of the things she's still grappling with is defining her niche. And she's literally got about three different niches and they're very different from each other. And uh, talking with her and, and explaining how complex it will be for her to try to market to three very different audiences compared to her choosing one. Yeah. So for you, one of the things I'm curious about is that you said some of your people uh, that come to your classes, they're already, I guess, living a plant-based lifestyle and Mm -hmm. some are not. So tell me about that. How does that work? Yeah. So I'd say when I have my classes, it's probably a 50-50 split. I have 50% that are completely plant-based, have been for a short while or a long while, but mm-hmm. they are definitely 100%. Vegan is the, I guess, the term that we used to use, but now people use plant-based. Yeah. Um, and the other 50% um, eat absolutely everything, 
But the reason they come is as well as actually enjoying cooking because that's pretty much a, a must. Yeah. The second part is that they want to be able to eat less meat and they don't know how to do that. Yeah. They're used to, you know, the meat being the hero and the veggies is the side. But with the way I teach, the veggies become the hero. You know, you don't miss the meat because there's so much going on with, with the dish. With the flavour. So mm-hmm. Yeah, they come They come for that reason. They don't, they don't want to give it up, but they'd like to maybe – only eat it three times a week. Yeah, and I actually think that there's a huge market of people who fall into what I call vegan curious. Yeah. (laughs) So they're not wanting to stop eating meat altogether, but Mm. that exactly as you said, they're wanting to decrease perhaps the amount or the frequency or just increase the amount of plant-based eating that they're doing and that there's that yeah. that gap of how do you do that and make it a meal uh and for me I have got to a point where uh, my husband is on board with one yes one meat-free meal a week <laughs> that's uh, a great start and so I think that's where something like what you're doing I think there's a great market for it when people are becoming a lot more aware not just of the health benefits potentially but also the Uh, environmental impact of it Uh, so for you balancing out those two messages is that something that sits okay with you that that people that are coming along are not actually actively wanting to go 100% plant-based absolutely look I'm not I'm not vegan I don't live a vegan lifestyle I'll say I say to everyone that comes to my classes I have a car with leather seats I like leather shoes Mm -hmm. I sometimes have parmesan cheese on my pasta right whoa crazy you rebel (laughs) I'm a rebel um so I make it really clear I'm I'm not out there to advocate veganism there's plenty of people doing a great job of that and Mm -hmm. they can have that bag I the reason I do this is because I love food and mm-hmm. I want people to understand um, how nourishing food can be. And I just think that with our busy lives and the the easy grabbable food that we have, we are losing, I guess, nourishment, but we're also losing that feeling of, of what it feels like to prepare a meal and mm. understand where your food is coming from and sit at the table and enjoy that meal. And there's so much love and I get goosebumps every time I talk about it because yeah. I, I think it's lost. And what I love about what I do is that I, I'm just trying to teach people to connect again, to connect with food, to connect with the people in their home, to connect with their friends. It doesn't have to be over a beer at the pub. It can be over a simple plant-based meal at home. Oh, just and, and just the, the, the taste that's possible. So when they come to my class, I make it very clear that I'm not here to advocate veganism. In fact, if you love to cook fish, I'll give you tips on how to introduce fish into the curry that we've cooked, for example. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to poo-poo that. Yeah. Um, you know, my husband likes to eat fish and meat and that's fine. We just don't have it at home, but I- I'm not put off by it and I'm not here to judge people for their choices because it's who am I to do that? Yeah. Um, but if I can just help people fall in love with vegetables, that's that's pretty much it. I mean... That sounds like a big thing, fall in love with vegetables, but it's possible. You can look at a zucchini and it can amaze you if you know what to do with it. Um, (laughs) So I'm okay with that and I make that really clear at my classes and I think that honesty is what works. I think people feel comfortable coming to the classes because they don't have to be a certain person or a certain way or they don't have to 
hide that they eat chicken or yeah. a fish or I mean I'm okay with that I used to do that and one day I might do it again I mean I've been plant-based for 12 years but mm-hmm. I don't know things change life changes so yeah. I'm, I'm not here to put those labels upon myself or other people yeah uh- Fiona, I love your passion and and it really comes through when you're talking about, you know, encouraging people to fall in love with veg and and also um, what really... And kids. And kids. Kids need to, from a really young age, just eat all of them and eat them more than once. If they don't like them, try it again. Try it a different Different way. way. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just just eat. Just get into it. (laughs) (laughs) Just give it a go. Give it a go. Yeah. Uh, And also what you were saying about... uh, part of it is about reconnecting again and I feel like that's one of the things from this year that is a definite takeout is sort of reminding ourselves what is it that's most important uh, in life and how can we reconnect to ourselves to the food that we eat preparing and sharing it with others in our lives and I think there is something in that that is a bit of a the risk of a lost art so I love the fact that you're contributing through the plant-based lens to you know assist people to embrace that a little bit more i think there's there's really great potential for you for this business oh great yeah, yeah. and look the, the classes i run are a little different to most because they're smaller so mm-hmm. we, we we cap out at eight yep and we enjoy the meal together we set the table and we enjoy the meal at the end of our class yeah. and there's great conversations shared with complete strangers and mm-hmm. that that's what warms my heart the most that I'm able to bring together people that don't know each other. They may never see each other again, but at that moment they connected, they chatted, they enjoyed a meal and everybody leaves happy and, yeah. and their their soul's better for it. I know it. Yeah, totally. Which is beautiful because I was going to ask you what what's, you know, one of the best things about what you're doing now and I think that sounds like that's definitely one of them. Yeah, and I also run um, weekend cooking retreats. So that would have to be probably my favourite thing. We ran one, um, well, we, I ran one, um, October. There's another one in March. So we spend three days in a, a beautiful home in the Sunshine Coast and we cook and we feast and we connect with like-minded women and we do yoga and all sorts of mindfulness activities and it's just a beautiful three days. That sounds amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. Oh, we'll have to make sure that we yeah. uh, let people know where they can find out about, about that. Yeah. Um, in fact, that's probably a good time. How can people find out more and connect with you if they want to find out about Wholesome Bellies and your, your classes? Yeah, so the website is wholesomebellies.com.au and on the website they'll find lots of free recipes that I post regularly and all my classes and next year we'll be looking to move into some online work, so maybe some online courses or online teaching as well. Unreal, so I might be able to join some of those. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, I'll be writing my first cookbook next year. So that's that's where they'll find a bit about me and then all the socials. So I'm most active on Instagram and Facebook. It's just at wholesome bellies for both of those Mm -hmm. lots of recipes there as well and information on my retreat will be on the website too great and i'll make sure that we get those links and include them in the show notes so that if you're listening and you want to check it out you'll be able to just scroll and get those links as well yeah so fiona one of the things that has been a bit of a common theme for people that i speak to who perhaps have an idea for something they want to do maybe in their, the next chapter of their work life. As you just said, you know, you're, you're in your 40s now and feeling like you're just sort of getting started. Um, one of the things that, that can hold women back from going out and exploring doing their own thing is financial considerations. 
for you, even though I know you know talking about money and finances can be a bit of a personal topic, mm-hmm. how did you approach that with looking at your startup costs and your decision making around how you approached the business? Was it a factor? Oh, absolutely. I mean, if I was to re- remove myself from the uniform edit full time, I'd need to replace that income for our family because mm-hmm. we've always relied on it and we have a certain lifestyle that we would like to maintain. Yeah. So I guess that's why I transitioned slowly and I kept the cost really, really low. I didn't go out hiring kitchens. We were very lucky that we had recently renovated our kitchen. So I'm able to run classes from home. So that's that's super helpful. I built my website on my own in WordPress. It was painful and it was horrible and I wouldn't do it again. But it's what I had to do because I didn't have a, a 5 or 10K budget like I have in my other business for website development. Yeah. I didn't have anything. so And I didn't really know what this was going to be. So um, it was, I think, $400 budget and yeah. that's kind of it. And the website's fine. It's not where I want it to be, but it's fine. And what I think what the big lesson for me has been in starting this project and this business is to take it one step at a time. Mm. I don't have a business plan for the first time in my life. I don't have a budget for the first time in my life. Um, I don't really know where I'm going with it. Um, And I think that's been the best part is that I haven't filled my head with these ideas and expectations and I've just moved through it slowly. And I know that we don't all have that luxury. I get that. Sometimes you have to jump ship and get into it. But being able to transition has given me the luxury to have income on one side and just dip my toes a little bit at a time. And as I'm able to do more and as my income builds here, I'm just taking less on the other side so I can then give that to our team members and have them working more in the current business. Yeah. So it's, I guess it's like a balancing act with the, you know, where am I earning more and where am I earning less and being able to dip in and out of that. Mm -hmm. I am lucky to be in that situation. Um, but it's been it's been really nice. It's been nice to not feel pressured and feel like I've got all these financial goals I have to hit and I've been able to be in my purpose and my joy more than I've ever been before because it hasn't had to be about money. It's been about doing what what makes me feel good and knowing that the money will come. And that's a really difficult thing to get your head around. I've heard that before and I'm like, oh, whatever not as lucky as you. But got to pay the bills. Got to pay the bills, yeah. And I've, I've felt like that most of my life in business. It's felt hard. And I don't know why this doesn't feel hard. And I think it's just because I'm allowing it to just be a little bit more relaxed mm-hmm. and I'm just flowing with it a little bit, um, I guess, more lightly yeah. than I have in the past and yeah. not expecting it to be anything. Yeah. And that's. That's hard to do, but I think that's what's working, to be honest. Yeah. And, you know, it is one of those things where I think it can be something that you either use as fuel to keep you moving and get you moving of going, actually, I'm, I'm going to take the pressure off telling myself I have to replace my my salary within the first six months, otherwise it's a failure. Getting rid yeah. of that kind of benchmark, I think, is something that is really important um, you do have to, for, for it to be a business, you do have to be thinking about the numbers and going what's viable and is, you know, is there a, a business model here that I can scale to get to that Absolutely. point? But I think the obsession and 
over planning is something that can be a bit of a trap and also I think a bit of a procrastination strategy of people oh, going, oh, totally. I'm, I'm still, I'm doing right, my 45. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, how about you go and get a first client and then you yeah. know, you'll learn because I love what you said about uh, it was the context of the, the website, which I think is, a, again, a common one that people can get into that trap of going, well, until I have a website, I can't go out there. Yeah. I, I call BS on that. But yep. um, that you also said that you didn't know exactly what it was going to be. And so investing five grand, 10 grand, whatever on a website was potentially going to be cut before the horse because I'm a big one. And it sounds like this is the approach you've taken bias towards action. Get out yeah. there, start talking to people about what it is that you're thinking you want to do and the feedback you'll get either from people going, oh, that's nice, and then changing the subject versus, yeah. oh, let me know when you're doing the first one. Yeah. It's you having practice talking about it. It's you yeah. gauging how people respond. You running the first class with three people, as you said, was your best way of you learning geez, man, it's different when you're running a class than just me cooking for myself and, and building your familiarity and your skills and confidence around doing that. You, you can't learn that from a strategy and a plan. You learn no. that from getting people in and then going, crap, i got to do this and learning as you go. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, I think, I think the most challenging part will be what's coming next. I don't think it's been mm -hmm. the startup phase because – I've been able to, you know, when you're so small and you don't have the overheads, I guess you don't really need a plan. You can kind of give it a go and go, oh, no, that didn't work. Give something else a go because you've got something else going on that's providing. But to take that next step, which is where I'll be going next year, which is I've got to at some point leap. Yeah. I can't hold on to both. It's like, um, you know, which boat are you going to jump on? And I need to make that choice. And that's the scarier part because if I exit, permanently from the uniform edit that requires me to exit from that pay mm. <laughs> um so I'm at the stage now where I'm having to really think and do some planning for next year and work out well what what do I need to do how many classes how many retreats what yeah. online programs what does the revenue need to be for me to be able to replace myself yeah because I, I, I'll, I'll eventually burn myself out trying to hold on to both and being a mother as well to two children so um i think next year will be will be the challenge and letting go 100 percent will, will, will be hard it will break my heart to some point because i've built that business mm. from the scratch with my husband so um letting go of that and being able to shut off from that and not know what's going on there that's the next stage which i think will be probably the hardest where I'll have to just dig a bit deeper. Yeah. And to, you know, to remind yourself about the, the bigger picture and the longer term view of what you're creating. I yeah. think it's very exciting for you and it will no doubt will be just another level of leap. And I also think that it's, it's great what you've done because you've spent this year really building the uh, clarity and the confidence about what your business is offering and building that foundation that you can now then build on and go, okay, for me to scale this, what does that look like? If I was to explore online, what do I want to do? How does that run? How does that work? What's the cost you know, implications? You know, you're more informed now than what a lot of people do is they try and do all of that at once. And that's where it's it's too much, too soon, overwhelming, message isn't necessarily as clear as it needs to be. So I actually think that the way you've approached it has been really savvy and I have no oh, doubt you. that it's going to be a brilliant next evolution for oh, you as well. You. 
One other question that I want to ask you is about the balance of side gigging and whether you refer to the the uniform edit as your side gig or wholesome bellies as your side gig or parallel gigs whatever you want to call it oh i think i'm in a parallel right now yes i think it seems more parallel how do you go with balancing or switching your attention and responsibilities and tasks from one to the other because i know that there'll be people listening who are like, I've got a full-time job. I am busy as hell. I have no time, no energy to dedicate to my new idea. How did you do that? You said that you started doing six days. So you had a class on Saturday, Yeah. sorry, on Sunday um, and one day a week that you'd work on the new job. But what was your approach? Do you have any tips or thoughts for people that are kind of considering that balance and how they might be able to make it work sure I think in the beginning I decided to be fluid um, Mm -hmm. which meant to me doing what going where I was most required Mm -hmm. um, and feeling into that so that meant that if there was more work to do at the uniform edit that was my priority and I had to make sure that that was okay before I stepped out and then over time I started to create some boundaries. So my structure has changed somewhat as this has become more serious. And when I'm in wholesome bellies, I'm at my happiest. So that is where I want to be all the time. Yeah. So there's a, there's a strong desire there to do more of that. So it's, for me, it's been creating, it's creating structure. So I go into the office every Monday and Tuesday now, and I make sure that in those two days, I don't discuss wholesome bellies. I don't reply to those emails. I do them when I get home that night if there's something urgent. And I kind of just try and really focus those two days in one area. Mm -hmm. Um, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I shift out of that and into wholesome bellies. And I'm spending three days now, not so more days in wholesome bellies, Mm. because I do also work on a Sunday cooking. And at first, that felt really good. But I was actually getting really tired because whilst the cooking is my passion, teaching is exhausting and I was working six days a week, even though it didn't feel like work after a couple of months, every Monday I was exhausted and needing to kind of not go to the uniform edit because I needed a break. So what I now do is I'm mindful of those Sundays that I work and I take a day off in between for me. So on a Wednesday or a Thursday, Um, Because I'm working from home from Wholesome Bellies, I might just take from 9 till 12 and not cook and not work and just go to yoga or have some downtime. Yeah. And I find that that's helped me to just kind of transition and balance the two. And I have a very strict morning ritual, which happens every day, that just helps set me up for the day. Yeah. And what is in your morning ritual, if I ask? I always love finding out what people do. I'm an early bird, so I'm up... um, by 5.30, I have a lemon or herbal tea and I do a meditation about 20 to 30 minutes every single morning. Um, I'd like to do that before the house is awake, so before mm-hmm. the kids are up. And um, if I can fit in some exercise, I'll do that in the morning as well, just after my meditation. And then I spend about an hour and a half in the kitchen in the morning. So it is my happy place. I like it there when I'm on my own. So I just prepare lunches for the kids. I get our evening meal ready in the morning and just kind of chill out in there with some music nice. and then I yeah and then I get ready for work drop the kids off for school and start my work day and I'll, I'll try and get to the gym or yoga in the afternoons mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I'm home every day with the kids. I pick them up at three o'clock every day. So I'm lucky that we have that time at home. But that's when I get a lot of my recipe creating done in the afternoon when the kids are home because they're doing their thing and I'm mm-hmm. in the kitchen and mm-hmm. I'm just kind of playing around and it's nothing too serious. Yeah. Sounds like you've got a really nice kind of working rhythm going on for you. I have a good rhythm going at the moment. It's taken a while, to, to be honest, this year, especially um, having everyone at home and my husband not travelling. There's been, you know, it's been great, but we've all had to adjust to um, just yeah everybody being around and shuffling shuffling just life so it's taken some adjustment and it's not going to stay the same I'm pretty sure next year something will change again and but that's okay we just sort of I guess change as we need to but the the big key for me is really that half an hour of quiet that I give myself in the morning without that I'm probably not functioning very well yeah yeah it's so good that you uh see the value in that and are disciplined enough to do that because i think it again setting up your morning to work for you is a really great one and i really love your idea of preparing the evening meal in the morning because that's something i struggle with often i'm working till a little bit late and then we end up eating later uh, so I like that idea of considering, you know, the, some other prep that could be done in the morning just to make the yeah. evening um, prep faster yeah, and it's amazing when you're not tired and when you've got no one around, how quickly you can put a meal together. Yeah, yeah, awesome, yeah. great tips. Any final tips or thoughts for, for anyone that's listening who perhaps has got, you know, something that is an idea or, or a, as you said, you know, that kind of soul idea or pa- passion that they might want to do but they're not sure about taking the leap? Any sort of words yeah. of wisdom or thoughts for them? Yeah. Do you know what? I, the word flow comes to mind. And I had um, one of my uh, breathwork meditation teachers say to me, when you're in flow, everything will feel right. And I was like, oh, that's just some woo-woo crap. Yeah. Like when I'm in it's flow. It's a nice Instagram like, quote. <laughs> yeah. Like what does flow mean? Like I'm not in flow. Everything's just always busy and hard and stressful. Like that's what's always been my flow. Um, and if I can just, I guess, share anything, it's that to know your, I guess, everyone struggles with what's my purpose and I think it needs to be this big thing. It doesn't need to be big. But to be able to find stillness I think is key mm-hmm. and to be able to recognise those moments and they may be moments, they may not be hours, where you just feel at peace, I think that's when we're living our purpose and that's when flow comes in. So. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, when I'm in the kitchen, time stands still and there's just no thoughts in my head at all. Like I don't know why. I just don't think of anything. Mm. Um, and, I've, and I'm in flow. Yeah. And I don't know, it's not easy to find, but I think it's just noticing those moments where you just feel at peace mm. and recognising what is it that I'm doing in those moments and what what else can I be doing to get more of those moments? Yeah, nice. And mm. also I think like your journey suggests that sometimes this 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 question or pursuit of, of purpose and finding this one single purpose, I think that is, as you've said, you know, it's a bit of a, a, a false equation. So but, overwhelming. Yeah, yes. My God. But actually to look backwards and be curious about what are the ideas that have hung around for a while? of things that I enjoy or things that I've ever said to myself, oh, one day I'd like to do insert answer here or have a business that does X, Y, Z, to be open and curious to that 
without judgment I think that's when you can see but often we're so busy and back to that um, water fast comment or info that you gave about we can in this busy noisy world distract ourselves so much that we're not quiet enough to notice the clues that are there and so creating those opportunities yeah Yeah. to to find that stillness or silence and it might be walking if you can't consider you know doing a meditation straight away if you're not there yet whatever flavor works for you but to actually be still with yourself to just be curious about oh what are those things that I've had in the back of my mind or that is an idea that won't go away because that's where there's great clues for you to perhaps even just experiment with or do a little bit of research into and I think that's one thing that uh, I would really encourage people that are listening to to consider and take a leaf out of your book of kind of being open to noticing well I'm doing well and I'm really comfortable but am I actually doing something that is of my desire or am I just doing something of somebody else's dream? Yeah, and that's that's such a hard question to answer for yourself. It, it takes time to kind of really break that down. Yeah. So, again, yeah. you know, the a, a tip would be around acknowledging it takes time. So don't put so much pressure on yourself that you think you're going to have you know, one yep. one session of journaling and you're going to come out the other side knowing oh, exactly God, no. what this is, you know. And I think sometimes, especially high-achieving women, can can fall into that trap of feeling like I'm supposed to know exactly what the thing is and how it's going to work and have all the pieces lined yeah. up. But, but it doesn't, well, I, it rarely works that way. Yeah, and I think for me the scariest thing was actually slowing down. Oh, I've always yes. been um, operating at a very high pace and... Yeah. Um, I am a high achiever. I've always been that way. And I think, I don't know why, maybe to make someone proud of me, maybe. Yeah. Um, possibly my dad. I'm yeah. not sure. But a lot of stuff there about why I needed to be more. Mm-hmm. And I think the scariest thing for me was actually realizing that I don't have to push so hard to be successful. Yeah. And sometimes slowing down actually gets you there faster. Yeah. Oh, you are such a wise woman, Fiona. <laughs> Oh, I'm not sure about that. I'm getting wiser. I can't wait to turn 50. I'm so excited. Five years to go, but I just feel like the older you get, just the better life gets. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Bring it on. Fiona, thank you so much for making the time to be part of this interview series and to share your insights and experience. I know that there'll be people listening to this who will be really inspired by the approach that you've taken and that hopefully it opens up some inspiration for them to start making their own uh, small steps if that's where they're at or their giant leaps, whatever's next. So thank you so much for sharing so openly. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's a privilege to be asked to, to have an interview. So thank you. That's it for another episode of the Transit Lounge podcast. But before you go, I just want to tell you about a great new free resource. If you are early in your business and you want to make sure that you're focusing on the right things at the right time to make sure that your business is profitable as quickly as possible, then you want to go and grab a brand new ebook that I have created, which is called the top four priority focus areas for a profitable first year in business. In this ebook, I have compiled 
experience and insights from my over five years in business, as well as from more than 40 interviews with successful women in business and conversations with other women in business that are in my network. And I have summarized all that experience into the top four areas that you need to focus on so you can really create a business that delivers the kind of income and lifestyle that you're looking for. You can get that ebook for free at thetransitlounge.com forward slash top four. I'll be sure to put the link to that into the show notes to make it easy for you to get. So go get it, have a read, then come and join the private Facebook group and tell me which one of the four areas do you think you would benefit from more help with. I'll look out for your comment in the group. Have a great week.